Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you apply to a particular school being highlighted in a given episode, you should listen to all of them, as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Don't forget to visit our website, www.collegeadmissionstalk.com, or the show notes of each episode to access the alphabetical list of all the colleges available with the related audio link to the right of each school. The alphabetical list provides you with on-demand access to all of the episodes so that you may listen whenever you wish. And if you want to receive links to episodes before they are released on the podcast, along with other related resources, please fill out the email opt-in form also available on our website and in the show notes of each episode. Lastly, please email me with any questions or comments at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today Catherine Feiner, who's the Director of Admissions at Seton Hall University. Catherine, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It is our honor and pleasure. So, Catherine, let me ask you to tell us a little bit about Seton Hall and what sets it apart from other universities. Absolutely. Well, Seton Hall is a great place. Uh, I'm actually a Seton Hall alum myself. So in addition to being the director, I have both my personal experience as a student now being back as a professional staff member and both have been incredible. And I think one of the things that really sets Seton Hall apart, you know, we're located in South Orange, New Jersey, which is a small village. It's actually referred to as the village of South Orange, which kind of gives you that picturesque uh, idea of a quaint little town. And it's definitely that. But we're also located just 14 miles from Manhattan. So when it comes to access to all that New York City has to offer, our students really get that experience. But they're also kind of safely nestled in this traditional college campus experience experience. Our, our campus is completely gated. Um, so our students really feel like they're in a safe place. And it's a park-like campus. It's a beautiful uh, campus, but it's super walkable. You know, Seton Hall is a lot smaller, I think, than some people realize. Uh, we have around 6,000 undergrads total, which isn't a tiny school. But, you know, because we have that amazing Big East basketball program, a lot of people <laughs> think we're a much larger institution. But it's really great because students get to have familiar faces on day one. You know, they'll start recognizing people on campus that they see in their classes, that they see in the cafeteria, but they're also meeting new people all four years. So I think it really is a great balance of having that community feeling, um, but all of the resources of a large national uh, research university. So it's a really great and special place. 
Well, we appreciate that introduction, and I read that you have more than 90 academic programs. Your student-to-faculty ratio is 14 to 1, and as you mentioned, you're a short trip to New York City, which I'm sure offers multiple opportunities recreationally, but also for internships for your students and beyond. So I was curious, Catherine, what are some of your most popular programs and majors offered at Seton Hall, and how do they prepare students for their future careers? Well, you're absolutely right. We do have more than 90 academic programs, and they're across a lot of different disciplines, which I think is really important when you're choosing a college. Uh, And I'll talk about this more a little bit later, but to have options available. And so for us, we have everything from our Stillman School of Business, uh, School of Diplomacy and International Relations, which I'm actually an alum of that program. But we're also a leader in health professions. And I think that's something really important to stress. Students have access to things like nursing, occupational therapy, physical therapy, physician assistant. I'm, I know those are all really popular programs. We do also have several, and they're all dual degree programs. So speech language pathology is another one, um, athletic training. And we have a joint MD program with the Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine, uh, which is really, really popular the last couple of years as well. But I would say definitely those are some of our, our key programs. Education, I think, is also really popular. And one thing that's unique about our School of Education is that students can get certified both as elementary or secondary education teachers and special education teachers right at the same time in four years, which uh, not every place can do that. But I think across the board, all of our programs really try to emphasize hands-on learning experiences for our students and really putting what they're learning into practice. Um, I know uh, our School of Diplomacy, for example, was founded in partnership with the United Nations Association of the United States. And so to your point about having access to New York City, we're just a short train right away. It takes about 35, 40 minutes on the train to get into New York City. And so our students have access to more than 17,000 internship opportunities that our career center really supports our students in in looking for those because we want the students to really experience what they're doing. Um, I think a lot of students, in theory, they pick a major and they think, okay, Hey, this this makes sense to me, but then they get in and actually start doing it. And I think that's those hands-on experiences is where they can really learn. Is this something I actually want to do? Um, for those uh, health profession majors that I mentioned, we actually have a separate campus just about 20 minutes from our main campus in South Orange. It's our interprofessional health sciences campus. And it opened back in 2018, so it's a really new facility, but that's where all of the graduate level portions of our, you know, occupational therapy, physician assistant, um, you know, PT programs. And it has state-of-the-art lab facilities, simulation labs. That's where students do all of their really hands-on learning for those health professions. So it's really great that they have access to all of the state-of-the-art facilities right at their fingertips here at Seton Hall, which is great. Well, thank you so much for that comprehensive overview, and I appreciate you sharing that you're a leader in the health professions and that you have a separate campus for that. That's terrific. I didn't know that. Over 90 academic programs, internship opportunities, hands-on experiences. It really sounds like you have something for everyone at Seton Hall University. So, Catherine, I was also curious, what is life like on campus? Students always ask about the social aspect of a college campus. So any insight you could share would be greatly appreciated. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's always something happening on Seton Hall's campus. And this past fall, we actually reopened our university center. It had opened back in the 1960s and hadn't really been renovated or refreshed since then. And we knew that that wasn't really serving our student population, especially because that was the main hub and home on campus to our students for their social lives. So uh, this past fall, we opened our brand new university center and our students literally from day one started using every single space of the university center and have really been enjoying having access to that. Um, at Seton Hall, we have over 100 different clubs and organizations. We have fraternities and sororities. So for students thinking about pursuing Greek life, that's a really great option. And you know, one thing I really like about our Greek system at Seton Hall is that we don't actually have university-sanctioned Greek housing. Uh, many colleges, especially larger colleges, might have a fraternity or sorority row. And so our students involved in Greek life, they aren't just isolated or cut off from the rest of the campus community. It's not their whole identity. You know, I was in a sorority during my time at Seton Hall, but I was also a member of the Model UN Club. I was a resident assistant. And so you can really get involved in a lot of different things. And so if you want to participate in Greek life, you can, but it doesn't have to be your whole identity. One thing we also do that I really love, um, Seton Hall was founded in 1856, and so we've instituted a program called the First 56 Days, where from the first day of school, every single day for the first 56 days, there is something happening on campus, whether that's our involvement fair, so students can learn about clubs and activities, to a petting zoo for students on the <laughs> middle of the campus green, that was a big hit, um, to, you know, our uh, we have a spring carnival that's more in the spring, but every single day for the first 56 days, something fun is happening on campus so that students really get immersed and jump right in uh, from day one. Because we know that the transition from high school to college can be really tough. Uh, it's over overwhelming. Students might be living away from home for the first time. Many, many students are sharing a room for the first time, so that can lead to some interesting uh, <laughs> experiences. But we really do try to make sure that there's always something happening on campus for our students. Um, about 80% of our first year students do live in campus housing. So it's a very residential campus community. And uh, in the spring, we have our spring carnival. And they just announced who's coming for our spring concert, uh, which is Ray Schremmerd. I think I'm getting that right. I'm, I'm getting old. I don't know. I know the students were really excited about it. Ray Schremmer, I think. Yes, that's it. Um, but the students are really, really excited uh, about that. And we just try to keep you know, a lively experience. And to your point earlier, you know, having access to the city isn't just good for internship opportunities. Our students really do take advantage of that for, for their social lives and having fun and uh, really getting to experience life off campus as well as all of the fun things that are happening on campus. And of course, uh, cheering on the Pirates at Seton Hall basketball <laughs> games. That's a big one as well. Absolutely. And they've had tremendous success. So thank you so much for that overview. Brand new university center, over 100 different clubs, Greek life, and so much more on your campus. Thank you again, Catherine. And can you walk us through the admissions process at Seton Hall and what should students and parents keep in mind when applying? 
Absolutely. So I would say that the application process at Seton Hall is pretty straightforward. We try to keep things simple for students because we know that with so many different schools that they may be applying to, there's a lot to keep track of and a lot to keep straight. So Seton Hall is uh, both on the common application and we have our own Seton Hall application. And we have no preference on which students use. It's really what works best for you. Um, but students can track their progress on their application through our applicant portal, regardless of whether they apply via the Common Application or the Seton Hall application. Um, the main things that students need to submit, of course, their high school transcript. Uh, we do ask for a letter of recommendation for, from a teacher and from their guidance counselor. Um, we do also ask for the school report, which you know you may be familiar with, but a lot of students <laughs> that causes some confusion. Really, it's just a school profile. We just want to have a sense of what are the what's the grading scale at your high school. You know what does uh, you know what AP classes or honors classes are offered. Just really helps us to understand the school, and of course that all come from the guidance counselor. And then students can submit their SAT or ACT scores, but we are test optional. And I know we'll get into that a little bit more, but we are test optional through 2026. Uh, so students can choose to submit their SAT scores or not. Oh, and then of course their essay, which could be the Common App essay, an essay on the topic of their choice. Um, but we do like to look at that and, and have that learn more about the student. I think what parents and students should keep in mind when they're applying is definitely uh, the sooner the better. You know, I think <laughs> a lot of students don't realize just how busy their senior year is going to be uh, between the rigorous courses that they're taking. Maybe they're in the school play. Maybe they're on a sports team. And the college application process just adds to all of that. So our application becomes available on August 1st each year. And while students don't necessarily need to rush and hit submit on August 1st, I think taking advantage of the free time that they have during the summer to at least start working on their essay or at least, you know, begin the process, they're going to thank themselves later when they don't have to be quite so overwhelmed <laughs> with the, uh, the college process during the school year. I want to welcome back Sean Patel, who is the founder and CEO of Prep Expert. He's a Shark Tank entrepreneur making a deal with Mark Cuban back in 2016. And he's also a board certified dermatologist who received a perfect score on his SAT. Sean, welcome back. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back, John. So I just wanted to share with all your listeners real quick that we have an amazing partnership with the College Admissions Process Podcast, and we have a really special offer for all of your listeners. So for any listener who wants to enroll their student into one of our prep expert SAT courses, ACT courses, or one-on-one -on -one tutoring programs, you can get 30% off just for being a listener of the College Admissions Process Podcast. All you need to do is put in the promo code COLLEGETALK, one word, just college talk, and that'll give you 30% off all prep expert SAT courses, ACT courses, or one-on-one -on -one tutoring packages. Make sure you use the link in the show notes of the College Admissions Process Podcast. Thank you, Sean. We really appreciate it. To our listeners, as an affiliate partner with Prep Expert, I want to be transparent with you that for every purchase made using our coupon code, which is College Talk, 
the college admissions process podcast will receive a small commission from prep expert, but rest assured that we only promote programs that we believe in and feel would benefit our listeners. For more information, please see the prep expert affiliate partnership link in the show notes. And now let's get back to the show. Well, that's great advice. Thank you so much. Students, as Catherine said, apply early. And Catherine, speaking of applying, what are the different ways a student may apply to Seton Hall? And is there a benefit to applying one way over the other? Sure. So at Seton Hall, uh, we have four application deadlines. I think the most important thing to stress off the bat is we do not have any binding decision deadlines. So students may be familiar with early decision and that is when you apply to a school. If you're accepted, you have to go to that school. You're committing in advance to that school. And here at Seton Hall, we don't have any binding decision deadlines, mainly because we want students to have the freedom to really decide, is this the right choice for me? Because especially in times of financial uncertainty, understanding what the true cost to them is going to be a really important thing. And so we encourage students to, you know, really take their time in making this decision because we understand that it is a really impactful one and we don't want anyone to feel like they've been backed into a corner. So uh, at Seton Hall, we have early action one, that's the earliest you can apply or the earliest deadline, and that's November 15th. We do also have early action two, regular decision one, and regular decision two. So our final application deadline is March 1st. And one thing that's a little different here at Seton Hall is that even though we have these application deadlines, we start reading those applications on more of a rolling basis. So for us, the sooner you apply, the sooner you're likely to hear back from us with an admission decision. I think the the real benefit to applying either early action one or early action two is that we have a variety of special scholarships that students can apply for. Now, we do have our main university scholarship, which students are automatically considered for when they apply. So there's no separate application process for that. We're just looking at their academic strength, their curriculum throughout high school. But those special scholarships are for things like being a servant leader or you know, might be based on geographically where you live. And those special scholarships have an application deadline of January 15th. So if you wait to apply until January, February, March, you may not have heard about those special scholarship opportunities. And so you've then missed out on some potential additional aid. And as we know, the the bottom line, the cost of attendance is a huge factor for students in the decision-making process. So you want to give yourself as many opportunities as possible to get access to things like those additional scholarships. So those are the main benefits to applying early. And the last thing I'll add actually is The earlier you apply and the earlier you hear back, the more time that you have to make a really informed decision. You may want to visit a campus again. You may want to uh, dig a little deeper into what the school has to offer. And if you wait until later on in the process to apply, you're going to have a lot less time before that May 1st enrollment deadline to really see if this is the right place for you. So that's another great reason to apply early. Well, I really appreciate that insight, and I agree that applying early is so important, and it's great that you mentioned your scholarship opportunities and how if you apply for regular decision two, which has a March 1st deadline, 
you're going to miss the deadlines of the scholarships, which I believe you said was January 15th. So these are very important pieces of information, emphasizing applying early so that you could frankly enjoy your senior year students. So what are some of the things that students do to demonstrate their interest in Seton Hall? And is that something that you track as part of your overall admissions process? Yeah, so at Seton Hall, demonstrated interest is definitely something that we look at. Uh, we receive more than 25,000 applications for admission. And wow. so trying to determine a student's level of interest is really helpful for us in determining, is this student a good fit for Seton Hall? Now, sometimes demonstrated interest is tracked by your visit to campus, right? So if you come for a tour, come for an open house, we'll definitely indicate that on your application. But we also look at things like, are you opening your emails? Are you engaging with your admissions counselor? At Seton Hall, we have admissions counselors assigned by geographic location. So I've worked with students in the New York City area for as long as I've been in college admissions. And I know those schools really well. I'm really familiar with them. But we really are here as a resource for students. I think a lot of high school students think if they reach out to their admission counselor that they're going to be bothering them or they don't <laughs> want to hear from them. But quite the opposite. You know, the students that we talk to that we hear from. Now, don't email me every day just to email me, but <laughs> the students that I hear from, I get to know and I want to advocate for because I can tell that this is really a place that they want to be. Uh, each year, students are applying to more and more colleges, right? I hear from students who have hit their limit on the number of Common App schools that they're allowed to apply to. And that's like 22 schools. That's a lot of colleges. <laughs> and so for us, you demonstrating that interest. And uh, again, it could be attending a virtual webinar that we host on various topics. It could be um, visiting with a, a college rep when they go to your high school. So there's a lot of different ways that students can indicate their interest and demonstrate it. It doesn't necessarily have to be coming all the way to campus, uh, though, of course, we want students to visit campus as much as possible because it really does make a difference in, in your college search. Well, we appreciate that. And once again, we have a director of admissions encouraging students to reach out. Don't reach out for something that you could easily find on their website. But I hope that these conversations through this podcast are making people understand that admissions representatives are accessible. They're happy to help. And frankly, they are awesome. So, Catherine, thank you for that. And I know that you mentioned earlier that Seton Hall will be test optional through 2026. So, can you share the percentage of students that applied and who were ultimately admitted that did not submit their test scores? Yeah, so this year, around 71% of our students applied test optional. Now, that's down a bit from 2021 when it was closer to 74%. So I think more students are starting to submit their test scores. Uh, and from that group, about 68% of our admitted students are test optional applicants. Uh, one thing I've found really interesting, especially over the past year, is that even some students with really strong SAT scores are choosing to apply test optional. And every school is different with how they evaluate applications. Their admission criteria can differ. But I think that students should definitely do their research about how submitting their test scores might benefit them, particularly in terms of scholarships. Because some institutions, if you have a really strong GPA and an even stronger SAT or ACT score, that could potentially uh, earn you a higher scholarship. And so I think doing your research and finding out what are scores being used for in the process and how are uh, schools considering them and really understanding 
a school's middle 50% in terms of the SAT can be really helpful. But, you know, we are still seeing a great deal of students uh, apply test optional. Well, we appreciate that data and the insight. Catherine, I was curious, where do you think the test optional movement is going over the next few years? It's a really great question. You know, I, I did a little digging because I, I, the test optional movement has been going on for, I think, a lot longer than people think. Um, back in 2015, there were already over 800 colleges that were test optional and weren't requiring SAT or ACT scores. Uh, a lot of people associate the test optional movement with the pandemic now, which understandably, uh, that number went from 850 in uh, 2015 to last year, more than 1,800 colleges were test optional. And that's a huge jump. But I think that a lot of colleges are seeing that there's not a huge difference in the quality and caliber of students who apply test optional versus students who submit their SAT scores. And, you know, I've even worked at test blind institutions, schools that don't consider SAT or ACT scores at all in the enrollment process. And at that institution, we saw our profile, our academic profile and caliber and quality of our students actually grow each year for while we were not considering SAT or ACT scores. So I think a lot of faculty can can be concerned about not having that metric and and seeing, well, do we actually know the quality and caliber of students? But there are so many other factors that can be weighed in the application review process to determine if a student is academically prepared. So I think especially as the SAT continues to evolve um, by, I believe it's spring of 2024, all SAT tests administered will be done in the digital format. So that's definitely going to be bringing some additional major changes to how colleges consider this, this new SAT. But I think a lot of schools are going to continue to remain test optional because they're seeing it's not necessarily that main or key factor that determines whether or not a student can be successful at their institution. Well, we appreciate the insight. And I was also curious, are there any common mistakes that students make when applying to college and how can they avoid them? I really like this question because I think it's it's easy to get overwhelmed and not be sure what you're doing and and mistakes happen, right? We understand that. But I think some of the ones that I truly like to talk to students about when I'm on the road or when I'm meeting with them one-on-one, number one is focusing too much on choosing the right major. I think a lot of students and their parents, frankly, get really bogged down on, you've got to pick a major, you've got to pick a major, you've got to know (laughs) what you're doing with your future. And I think that's a lot to ask a 17 or 18 year old. Um, If you talk to my mom, she retired a few years ago and she'll tell you she still doesn't know what she wants to be when she grows up, right? So I think a lot of students get really focused on picking a particular major and or maybe they have friends who are like yes I'm absolutely going to be an accounting major I'm going to be an accountant but what happens when you pick a college for that major you go into your first accounting class in college and you say oh my gosh I hate accounting <laughs> it's it really shatters their worldview because they had built up this future in their mind of okay I know what the next 10 years looks like for me because I'm going to sit for this exam and I'm going to do that. And then they get into it and they say, oh my gosh, this isn't what I want to do. And they really have a hard time shifting gears because they see it as a failure or they see it as, oh, why did I pick this college? I don't want to do this anymore. They might be afraid to change their major. 
when the reality is the average college student changes their major up to three times during their college experience. (laughs) And so I think students who go in either undecided or at least with an open mind tend to end up in a program or a major career path that really suits them better because they are open to opportunities. I mean, I just think about the fact that there are jobs that exist today that when I was a college student just 12, 15 years ago (laughs) didn't exist, right? And so how can we close ourselves off to these opportunities? You know, when you go in with a more of an open mind, I think you don't even know what path you're going to end up on. And that's a really exciting thing. But I can understand student uh, parents, especially, that's a, that's a scary prospect. Uh, they could end up doing anything. They're like, oh, I'd really <laughs> like it if they picked a, a career that I can fit into a neat uh, you know, box and they'll graduate with a job in that thing. But I think staying open to opportunities and staying open to not needing to know exactly what you want to do, uh, I think is a really important thing. And then the other thing that I always like to emphasize to students is don't rule out a college based on their listed uh, average GPA or average SAT. You know, we all learn in school what an average is, right? It's the middle, not a minimum. But I think (laughs) kids look at a college's posted GPA or SAT and they think, if I don't have that GPA, I can't get into that school. And so they'll rule it out. I did it myself, you know, when I was in my college search. And I don't know what it is, but I can't stress enough to students, a school's average is not a minimum. And if they have an average GPA of a 3.6, that means they accepted students with a 4.0. And it also might mean they accepted a student with a 3.0 or a 3.1, right? So don't sell yourself short on an opportunity just because you think, oh, if I'm not meeting that criteria, I'm not getting in. You can't get into a school that you don't apply to, right? So don't just rule a school out right away because you don't think you meet their GPA or SAT. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to share that we've teamed up with Dormco to make your dorm decorating a lot easier. Why Dormco? They offer quality and durability, affordability, and a wide selection for bedding to storage solutions and everything in between for your dorm room. So if you or anyone you know is looking to decorate your dorm, see the affiliate partnership link in the show notes for Dormco, your one stop for stylish, affordable, and quality dorm essentials. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast gets a commission, but rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit our listeners. Thank you all and best wishes. Well, those are great insights, how to look at the different averages, but also staying open to opportunities in terms of majors. Thank you so much, Catherine. We really appreciate it. And I was also curious, how does Seton Hall support its students once they are admitted, both academically and socially? We support our students in a lot of ways. And I think the the first thing that we do is as, you know, during the admissions process, we in admissions really become the main point of contact, the the person that families rely on to answer all their questions. But once a student enrolls, we really transition out of that that capacity and hand them over to our friends and student services or student affairs, right? But we try to make that transition as smooth as possible here at Seton Hall. We have tons of different resources available, uh, starting with some digital resources. So 
we've created a online video database. I don't know about you, but anytime I, I can't figure out how to do something, whether it's, you know, fix an appliance or do something, <laughs> I go on YouTube and I watch a YouTube video and I say, okay, step-by-step, uh, step, this is how I do it. And so we took that concept and applied it to all of the important next steps in the enrollment process. So whether that be, uh, starting a payment plan or signing up for housing. So we have a whole database for incoming students of tutorial videos that walks them through step-by-step -step in the process. Now, of course, we're happy to do it one-on-one, -on -one, but it's a really great resource. And as they transition out of our care into the care of our Center for Academic Success, um, they come for summer orientation. We have mandatory orientation over the summer. And at that orientation, students will meet their advisor for the first time. They'll also meet their peer advisor, which is a student who is going to, we call it their first friend on campus, uh, their, their first <laughs> upperclassman friend on campus. And they're really there to be a go-to person for them from the student perspective, right? They are there as a resource. They give out their cell phone numbers. They're really willing to help support the student as they make their transition. And because they meet their advisor at summer orientation, they know that person right from the start. And in their freshman year, in the fall of their freshman year, they'll take a one credit course called University Life, which is basically just being a college student 101. But that class is taught by that advisor that they met at summer orientation. And their peer advisor is also teaching that class, co-teaching with the uh, academic advisor, or with the advisor, so that the student has both a touch point every single week with that first friend on campus and with their advisor so that they really have a main support system all the way through their first semester of freshman year that's going to make sure that they're staying on track and doing what they need to do. Beyond that, we also have uh, you know, a disability support services office. So for students out of high school who might have an IEP or 504 plan, uh, we can support them. Or for students who have physical accommodations that they might need, we can work with them to set that up. But we also have counseling and psychological services. Uh, I think we all know that the mental health crisis has been growing over the past number of years, certainly impacted by the pandemic. And so we know a lot of students are coming in with anxiety or depression or different things that they might need support from a counselor or a psychologist. And so we actually recently expanded that staff because we want to make sure that we have the capacity to help students and make sure that they're acclimating and they're safe and happy here on our campus right from day one. Well, that is terrific. Thank you so much for all of that information. I particularly love the peer advisor program, which I think is incredible. And also the fact that the counselor teaches the freshman course to all of the incoming students. I think that's terrific, not to mention all of the other programs that you mentioned. And by the way, Catherine, I always put the Office of Undergraduate Admissions, obviously in this case, Seton Hall, in the show notes. If there are any other links that you want to provide to the students and parents, just send them to me. And of course, I'll make them available in the show notes. So this has been a phenomenal conversation, Catherine. I can't thank you enough, but unfortunately, it leads us to our last question, which is what are your top three pieces of advice you would provide a student and their parents getting ready for the college admissions process? Absolutely. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation as well. And I'd say the, the top three things that I, I would encourage students and, and their parents to think about as they're going through this process, number one is visit campuses. And not only visit campuses, if at all possible, visit these campuses before you apply. 
I've seen a trend in the past couple of years where students are waiting until after they've been accepted to a school to visit the campus. And I just think you put in so much work to apply. There's you know, a financial implication if you're paying application fees. Why wait until you've gotten your admission decision to see if this is even a place that you feel at home, that you feel like you fit? So if at all possible, visit those campuses and use the summer, use the spring. Uh, the summertime is a great time to visit campuses and many colleges offer visits all summer long. I highly encourage you to do that. So that's number one. Um, number two, have honest and open conversations between you and your parents or you and your student. I think that this process is the first time that students are really being treated like adults by many parents. And they're really making a transition from, you know, parents might have been really on top of them in high school, might have been making sure they're getting their work done, <laughs> doing all of that. But especially if you go away from home for college, you truly are on your own. You are responsible for yourself. No one's telling you to get to class. No one's, you know, waking you up for school. And so students really <laughs> need to start taking responsibility for their portion of this experience. And as we know, college is expensive. And I think it's really important that students understand the financial implications of the decisions that they're making. And it's a tough conversation to have, right? Because I know, you know, my mom, when we were going through the college process, she just wanted me to be able to go where I wanted to go. And she was going to figure it out no matter what. But she also made me sit down with her and, you know, I put everything in on the FAFSA because she said, you need to see what we're dealing with. You need to see, you know, what this means, because also you're going to be responsible for paying back your student loans after graduation. And so I think these are tough conversations to have, but I think being open and honest as a family about this process is going to save a lot of heartbreak down the road <laughs> and uh, make the student really invested in this college process and what it really means to them and to their family. Um, and then the final thing is, and this is, I think, the most important, this process is about the student. You know, they the student is going to get a lot of incoming information, right? Their best friend may love a particular school. Their older sibling went to a particular school. Um, their parents want them to go here. They want them to stay close to home. They want them to go far away. But this really needs to be a student-centric process because, again, to my previous point, like, the student is the one going to the classes. The student is the one who's going to choose the major. The student is the one who has to really pick up the ball and run forward with it. And so when you take in all of this other information from people, and again, taking advice from people is great, but I think it's important that it's with a grain of salt because what's perfect for your best friend or for your parent or for your sibling might not be the right fit for you. And so we really need to think about this as a student-centric process and knowing that what is best for this student may be completely different from some someone else. Um, my older brother went to the Coast Guard Academy. I, of course, went to Seton Hall. And my younger sister went to Smith College, which is a, a women's only college, liberal arts. We could not have chosen three more different schools. <laughs> we grew up in the same house. We went to all the same schools through kindergarten through high school. 
But what was right for me was not right for them. And we were all so happy with our choice, but that's because we were able to make it about us. And so don't forget as you move through this process, especially for parents, I know you have your expectations. I know you have um, things that you love for your student, but make sure you're hearing and listening to what they want as well, um, because this process is about them and we all want them to be successful at the college that they choose. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for the insight and great pieces of advice. I love how you talked about your own family, which is actually more common than people know. You have yourself, your brother, your sister, and you each grew up, like you said, in the same house, but went to three very different places and you were all happy with your choices. You talked about visiting campuses, which of course is very important. You talked about having honest and open conversations. I really appreciate how you talked about Discussing the finances early in the process, every school has a net price calculator available usually on their website. That's something that every parent and student should absolutely search for so that you have an idea of what you can or can't afford throughout the process. And it's really important to talk about that early. And lastly, like you said, the process really is about the student. It doesn't matter where mom or dad went. It doesn't matter where your friends are going. There's over 4,000 colleges and universities throughout the United States alone. There's definitely a school for everyone, but not every school is the right fit for every student. So Catherine, I can't thank you enough for your insight, your advice. This was awesome. And I hope to have you again soon. Take care. Thanks so much for having me. This was great. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap. What's up, podcast friends? I'm happy to announce that we've teamed up with some fantastic affiliate partners to further enhance your overall college journey. So do you or someone you know need stylish dorm decor, trendy college apparel, or top-notch test prep? Whether it's creating a cozy home away from home, flaunting the latest in college apparel, or securing top-notch test prep help, we've got you covered. Check out our affiliate links in the show notes within each of these categories, which we believe will help you, our listeners. Please note that if you make a purchase through any of our affiliate links, the podcast does get a small commission, but rest assured that we would only promote products that we believe in and feel would benefit you, our listeners. So check out the links in the show notes and share with anyone you think may benefit. Thank you all and best wishes.